Welcome into Mustache, the drinking podcast. My name is Andrew, and we just want to apologize for technical difficulties we had during this episode. And there are some points where our audio is copy over each other, and this one might be a little bit hard to listen to. So we do apologize about that. We're working on our technical difficulties through our website, Anchor, and we hope you continue to listen to us through the future. And thank you for listening. And again, we apologize for the problems we had this week. And welcome into the show, Andrew and Quinn here. This is Mustache, the drinking podcast. This is show 12, I believe. We are rolling on our whiskey series. And this week, we continue that and we're going to get right into bourbon, right out of the country of the United States of America. Bourbon is a very popular liquor here. Quinn, I think this is a good second topic to roll into after Irish whiskey. I think so too. I honestly, when I think of whiskey, there are two main ones that'll kind of pop up in my head as like the the two types of whiskey people really like: bourbon and Irish whiskey. Uh, bourbon is one that I'll be honest, I don't know a ton about bourbons. I, I never really became a giant bourbon drinker, though I do like some bourbons. Uh, we, we talked about uh, my enjoyment of fighting cock <laughs> on a, a previous episode, which is a bourbon. Um, but yeah, bourbon is kind of really, really cool one. Quinn, let's get into our drinks. We're going to start with that and then we're going to get right into the history of bourbon, but let's start with what you're drinking today. So I'm drinking a hard Arnie Palmer with uh, Jack Daniels, which I guess technically isn't a bourbon. It's a Tennessee whiskey, uh, which means it uses a sour mash which is a little bit closer. Uh, so according to Google, sour mash is a process used in, distil- in the distilling industry that uses material from an older batch of mash to start the fermentation of a new batch. Um, that's similar to how sourdough is done. So you take some of your you know, living yeast from a previous batch and you know, continue it on. So it's kind of living and growing. And that gives it the just sour taste which I'll be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of, but the reason why I picked Jack Daniels for tonight is it's so popular. I, when I think bourbon, I think Jack Daniels, even though I guess technically it's a Tennessee whiskey, but it's going to be hard to convince me that old number seven isn't a bourbon. It, it technically meets the requirements. It's 80% corn, I believe 8% rye and 12% wheat quote me on that 12%, but I know it's tiny bit of rye, dominant amount of corn, uh, which to be a bourbon, we've covered in a previous episode, 51% corn, you qualify as a bourbon because that's your majority grain in your uh, mash bill. And so this drink, it's pretty good. It would be a hell of a lot better if I had actually made a decent iced tea instead of using an iced tea powder. But I'm, I'm not unhappy with this. I'm enjoying my drink and 
you know. I think uh, this is a little bit of a backward backwards week because you made a cocktail, which is more up my alley, and I'm drinking straight bourbon. <laughs> and I think that leads into you, you not being a loving fan of bourbon, uh, enjoying it, but not being a huge, you know, I'm going to drink it on the rocks like you do with your scotch. So, <laughs> you know, you talked about the 51% corn. I'm going to roll into mine a little bit, but let's hit on some of the legal requirements that you just mentioned. It has to be produced in the United States. It has to be a grain mixture of at least 51% corn. It has to be aged in new charred oak containers, distilled to no more than 160 proof, 80% alcohol by volume, entered into the container for aging at no more than 125 proof, 62.5 alcohol by volume, and bottled at 80 80 proof or more. So it has to be between 40 and 80. And I think lots of your bourbons will be closer to that 40. I'd be pressed to see a lot of popular bourbons that are in that 80 range. Quint, have you, you're not a big bourbon guy, I know, but is there any, is there any big ones that you've heard of that are in that higher to 80% range? Um, I mean, fighting cock, that was 103 proof. 52.51 so and a half. I guess that's 52, so that's not in that 80% range. I guess, no, I can't say I do. I don't generally gravitate towards anything really above yeah. 120 proof, just because I think you lose so much flavor at that point. So my drink... um. I went downstairs, I went to our liquor cabinet we talked about in last week's episode, and I looked and, you know, there was no Irish whiskey last. There's no, yeah, it's a, it was basically a cabinet of bourbon this time. There's like 30 bottles in there and five of them are bourbon. And they're not all liquor. Some of them are blue curacao and, you know, there's some other stuff in there that's not, you know, there's more mixing stuff, but (laughs) yeah, some of your liqueur kind of stuff, but five bottles of bourbon in there, I think. So I'm like, damn, fuck. Well, let's pick the most expensive one, I guess. So I look at the top shelf because we got some of our nicer stuff on the top shelf, of course. And there's a bottle of Woodford Reserve, which is a great, great bourbon. Love that. Love it. Ooh. Ooh it was left here cool. by a friend. That is ours now. We can drink it. So I just I who leaves, who leaves a bottle uh, okay. of Woodford Reserve? I mean, someone very generous. Yeah, exactly. Who leaves a bottle of Woodford Reserve at their house? Adam, or at somebody else's house, and this particular person has come back. Someone who's just super generous. Exactly, and this person's come back a couple times. He's like, you guys haven't drank my, my whiskey yet? And we're like, no, that's an expensive whiskey. You want, do you want us to drink it? Like, I don't understand what's happening here. It sounds less like they left it behind, and they gave you a gift, but they forgot <laughs> to tell you it was And then whenever gift. they come over, they're like, ooh, this looks like the best thing I can drink here, and then they drink that. <laughs> You know, that is actually something um, – I had a friend who did that. He would leave a bottle of um, whiskey or like at your place, and the next time he came over, he'd know they were there. This is – it's not a bad system. So maybe he just has a genius-level plot to make sure he has his whiskey at your place. He's just stashing them all across the city. <laughs> Until I drink it because that is – it's just too good to leave in there for that long. 
But the problem right now with that plan is that there was something that's better than Woodford Reserve. At least it looked better. And uh, that is a, it's a Basil Hayden's bourbon. And Basil Hayden is a, it is a, um, excuse me. It's a Jim Beam, if I remember. No, uh, Jim Beam, pretty sure, company uh, under Jim Beam. So Basil Hayden is a a light-bodied bourbon in the family of the Jim Beam small batch bourbons produced by Beam Beam Suntry, who we – actually, I read about last week when we did our episode. He's bought a couple different companies, and he's running that – that manufacturer is running them around the U.S. And – he has this uh, in their small batch bourbons. And I saw it and I was like, God damn, that bottle looks fancy. It's got like paper wrapped around it. It's got like a little tin foil at the top. It's like real fancy done cork in it. And uh, I was like, sure. Yeah. Put that in a glass. So there's nothing quite oh, like uncorking exactly a bottle of whiskey. Cool. That satisfying pop. Exactly. So I, I popped it open and I went to go grab my whiskey, ice, my whiskey, my whiskey balls, my whiskey ice balls, and all my fucking roommates had used them all, and it was all water. So I reached down and grabbed my uh, iced wine glass, which I've used in episodes before, and uh, um, it's got like ice in the outside. It's in the glass. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So the, yeah. the glass itself pretty much freezes. So you, so you freeze the glass, and I was like, "That's a good idea. I don't have to put any ice in this one because I, you know, you got to drink it. Got to try to drink this one straight. I think. I think that's a good, that's a good, uh, good try. And uh, I already took a sip, and this this shit's pretty smooth. So I'll take one other one here and see how it tastes. So what are the nose notes to it? So what do you smell like? right as you're taking the sip. So, oh, man. This is a little little stuffy today. It has a good, it has a good whiskey, whiskey scent to it. (laughs) It's very light. Um, not a very deep smell or taste. It's a very uh, dances on the tip of your kind of the tip of your tongue, right? Um, written down, it has a charred oak okay. and sweets notes of vanilla and caramel with hints of dried fruit. Here, uh, here's a trick for getting more of the nose from it. Close your eyes, exhale, and then just hold the glass about two inches underneath. So have it pretty much right the rim right at your lips and just take a good inhale. Um, Though again, the type of glass you put a whiskey in will also kind of change how you smell the nose. There are specific glasses for bourbons. Uh, I can't Hmm. remember what they're called though, but they help accentuate and like trap in the nose. So you get a more. um, So I get that oak. I get that little bit of, caramel in there i don't smell the dried fruit but i do get that oak kind of oaky oaky smell with a little bit of vanilla and caramel i do smell that um the taste you know it's written down it has charred oak complemented with sweet brown sugar a touch of black pepper and dried fruit to round it out it it says it has a charred oak smell with sweet brown uh, sweet brown notes of vanilla and caramel with hints of dried fruit 
I smell the charred oak. I smell the sweet notes of caramel vanilla. I do not smell dried fruit. I don't know what it's trying to get there. Um, I don't know what dried fruit would smell like, but I'm not 100% sure I'm getting that. Uh, but if you go to the taste, it's supposed to taste. Do you get a sweetness? Did I get a, yes, nose? a little bit of a sweetness. It's like I said, it's kind of a light smell. And I think that plays into it a little bit. That might be why they describe it as a dried fruit more than just like I think fruity because it's more of the more than I, I kind of try that inhaling trick you're talking about. I kind of get what, what that is. I kind of get that little bit of sweetness, that little bit of dried fruit to it. Um, the taste is a charred Oak complemented with sweet brown sugar, a touch of black pepper and dried fruit. I definitely get the little bit of sweet brown sugar. Um, the charred Oak is obviously coming through. That's that bourbon. That's that classic bourbon flavor. The black pepper is interesting because Quinn, how would you describe black pepper in a bourbon? A little bit of a, a little bit of a burn. How would I describe kind of a black pepper to it? Yeah. A little bit of like spice on your tongue. Um, kind of separate from that burn, like the distinctive alcohol burn, but more like the capsaicin feeling. I definitely get a little bit of spice. This whiskey does not burn almost at all. It's very smooth down the throat. I held it in my mouth there, and then I got a little bit of a chill, you know, that whiskey chill. So that that gave me a little bit of a burn. But other th- otherwise, just that, just taking a sip of it, it's, it's a little bit of spice on the tongue. Definitely a smooth, little bit of a sweetness to it in that bourbon. It really is a nice, very light, uh, light sipping bourbon. I do enjoy this. And you said you haven't had Basil Hayden's before. Would you mix that bourbon? I haven't. I know we carried oh, it at the bar and it was okay. very popular. Um, would you mix it? There's recipes on the website to mix it to make uh, multiple different drinks. That um, I'm would just I? Asking, would yeah. you mix it? Or no. do you think it's no, too I good don't, to mix? There's very few things that I think are too good to okay. mix. Or uh, that's even, and you, and you say too good, but you can look at it as too good or it makes no sense because your PD scotches make no sense to mix. I'm not saying that they're too good to mix. They just don't make any sense to mix because, you know, they're, um, it just doesn't, it wouldn't make sense in a mixed drink. You know what I mean? It's yeah. It's pretty yeah, overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty – there are certainly some scotch mixed drinks, but no, I get exactly what you're saying. A scotch mixed drink is you know, not exactly yeah. the most common and thing. Yeah, and on the website here, the top three are a bourbon Manhattan, a bourbon Old Fashioned, and a, a Basil Hayden's uh, Bulvedere. So the, these are the top three. That, that, one looks, that one looks right up your alley. I just, just looking at it, I, that looks dry and got a little orange peel on the top. A dry citrus is probably exactly what that tastes like. I mean, all three of those cocktails you listed are three of my favorites. Uh, the the old fashioned is a, a, a very common one. When what I is what is a Bulvedere? to order a Bulvedere? Oh, I'm going to have to look up a recipe for one. I have the recipe you. up now, and second. it's definitely exactly what I said it was. It's it. So it's one part. This one specifically is one part Basil Hayden's. Three-fourths part Aperol, which you've said you liked before. Three-fourths part sweet, ver- 
Yep. Yeah, it's sweet vermouth, and then it's got that orange peel in it. So all I can all I can imagine from this is a little bit of sweetness coming through from the whiskey and the vermouth, but that aperol is a dry liquor, right? Liqueur. It's really similar to a Campari. Uh, what you just listed out is essentially the recipe for a Negroni, which is a classic Campari drink. Ex using gin, you're using bourbon. And I've actually <laughs> only had these made with Campari, not with um, Aperol. Interesting. And Campari is the classic mixing from what I'm finding for it. Though the classic mixing also uses a rye whiskey instead of a bourbon. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll move on to our next section here as we sip on our, our drinks throughout the show, as we always do. And that's going to be the history of bourbon whiskey. And the first thing I read, Quinn, was, as one might expect, the history of bourbon is a little sketchy, which is just just puts me through a loop a little bit. But then again... Uh, the USA and their and their prohibition times and their other things. Speaking of prohibition, a fun fact for anyone in the Midwest, in particular Minnesota. Uh, have you ever heard of Minnesota Thirteen Corn? Corn? I've heard of Minnesota Thirteen Andrew? Vodka or whiskey. So Minnesota Thirteen Corn is you was the most popular corn to be used during prohibition. It was actually the only corn Al Capone would allow his bourbons to be made from. And all of that was grown in central Minnesota, uh, primarily in central Minnesota, kind of around the St. Cloud area. And so, you know, all, all that bourbon that Al Capone was selling during prohibition, he bought his corn from Minnesota. And that's actually created a legacy of a lot of kind of Minnesota bourbon distilleries. Um, even Minnesota 13 distillery popped up about, I think, five, six years ago. And they were really interested in kind of the history behind bourbon and its relationship to um, this one particular corn that's kind of a staple of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Very local to us. <laughs> that's that's fascinating. That uh, you know, Al, seeing all the things uh, in the Midwest about Al Capone's, you know, secret hideouts here in Wisconsin, is you know, in Chicago, all these other places. Um, very fascinating, and I didn't, I definitely didn't know the Minnesota Thirteen Corn thing. The the alleged deal he had with the uh, mayors uh, or the police chiefs of Minneapolis and St. Paul so that he could flee to Minnesota and hide out there when the heat was on him in Illinois. Um, and so actually, when you drive down River Road in St. Paul, there's a house that's kind of well-known <laughs> for being Al Capone's hideout. Um, now, there, there is a lot of kind of back and forth by historians. Is that actually true? Many of them don't think it is. But you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. I'm choosing to believe it is. <laughs> and if we look back on a little more history, we bring our, bring ourselves back to 1783, and that's going to be the beginning of bourbon. The Samuels family tradition begins. Quinn, do you know who the Samuel Samuels family is? They are the oldest bourbon family still going strong. And like I said, started in 1783. They are 
the creators behind Maker's Mark Bourbon, which is definitely going to be on our list in a little bit that we hit on just like we did yesterday. We'll hit on a top top list and we'll get into some cocktails. But in prior to 1940, the Samuels family did not produce bourbon commercially just uh, for themselves. And um, his grandson, the original T.W. Samuels, uh, he came along and constructed a distillery at the Samuels Depot in Kentucky that made the business of bourbon boom. After a break in 1943, Bill Samuels Jr., this is years after they had started, he burned their famous family recipe for bourbon. He wanted to create bourbon without bitterness, and what he made was that maker's mark right there, and that's a great bourbon for anyone who wants to go try a bourbon. That is a great place to kick off. Um, the company is now owned by Bill Samuels Jr., who continues making those. Uh, we look at the first commercial distillery, Evan Williams. That was in 1783. It still bears that name. So that's one of the oldest ones. We actually have Evan Williams in our cupboard, too. I've had that before. Uh, it's pretty good. Quinn, how, how do you feel about Evan Williams? I think Evan Williams is just fine. I prefer it to Jack Daniels. Um, I think kind of Evan Williams, to, to use my analogy, say Jack Daniels is Jameson. Evan Williams is totally <laughs> so you like it. You better. It's 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 better. It's what you're saying. You're right. I I prefer look it to at Jack. Bourbon County, and I know it's a popular myth that bourbon has to be made in Bourbon County. And we already went over the legal requirements. That is not true. It just has to be made in the U.S. Uh, Old Bourbon County is in Kentucky. It's can by it can it, it is comprised of 14 modern counties. Uh, very little significance in today's age. Most production is currently in Louisville, Frankfurt, and Bardstown areas. If we fast forward a couple more years, 1789, Elijah Craig invented bourbon by aging the popular corn whiskey or moonshine. They aged their moonshine. Uh, they think that this is a disputed fact, some people say. Um, that many bourbon was not invented, but instead evolved with many hands in the barrel, so to speak, such as those who immigrated from Pennsylvania because of the whiskey ex excise tax, ex excise tax, something like that. Um, but it is a fact that in 19 1789, Elijah Craig, Baptist minister, opened a distillery in Georgetown, Kentucky. Haven Hill Distillery produces bourbon named after the inventor of bourbon. And uh, that is Elijah Craig. Haven Hill is a very popular distillery. I really, I read their name I've a few times in the past uh, two, three weeks that we've been working on this and they produce out a couple bigger names. If I remember correctly. And we move on to 1794, the whiskey rebellion farmers primarily in Western Pennsylvania protest against that whiskey excise tax that we just talked about. And President Washington had to call up 13,000 militia to deal with rebels a lot that, that were protesting because of bourbon. And, uh, man, our country is steeped, is steeped in fighting to be able to drink. <laughs> oh, my God. This, this doesn't surprise I, me I, too much. It would make more sense if it was Ireland, I guess, but us too, not surprising that much. <laughs> I mean, I, 
I'd say as much as really. <laughs> and then we get in yeah. Jim Beam, one of the biggest bourbon manufacturers in the in the country right now. It is one of the most well known American whiskey men. He started the family legacy. It's in its seventh generation now. Uh, Jacob Beam was was the man who sold his first barrel of Old Jake Beam Sour in nineteen in seventeen ninety five. Uh, since that time, there have been, like I said, seven different levels have carried the family craft and all the way to today. In 1821, bourbon advertising begins. In 1823, that sour mash is developed that we were that you were talking about with the um, with Jack, the Tennessee whiskeys. And that was at the Yep, that was at the Pepper Distillery, the which seven. is now coined the Woodford Reserve Distillery, which we were just talking about a couple minutes ago. And in 1840, it is officially named Bourbon. Although Bourbon Whiskey had been distilled in Old Bourbon County for decades, it was not until 1840 that it officially became known as Bourbon. Before it, it was labeled Bourbon County Whiskey. Very interesting. Civil War came along, and it caused a shortage of shortage of whiskey, obviously. You know, you talk about moving on to the Rippy Family Distillery opening, and that is Wild Turkey Hill. <clears throat> it's a Wild Turkey Bourbon, is what is what came along in 1869, 1870. They start shipping around the world. You the the um, APH Stitzel Distillery was established in 72. Do you know what that one is, Quinn? That is the Pappy Van Winkle I Distillery. I can't say I do. So that's 1872. Oh. They do. They make some very they expensive, some good expensive shit. shit. They, they, and one of those that I say, yeah, it might actually kind of be worth the price. <laughs> if you want to drop a couple of grand. It's if you want to so drop a couple of grand. <laughs> but it, it is really good. Like, it's really good. <laughs> Hashtag Please God, send us, Please send us a, a dripping us. out of a barrel. Please. We don't care. Anything. Just let us have something. <laughs> send us an, a, a bottle that you emptied <laughs> just so I can get the nose of it. It's that one oh, day. It's one so day good. I will definitely try a Pappy Van Winkle's drink and I will lose my shit. I can already, I can already uh, see it coming. And if we look at the prohibition, which we just mentioned, it killed bourbon distilleries. All, almost all of them, they were closed. The government issued 10 licenses to produce whiskey for medicine at the time, only six of which were activated. And uh, one of those is Woodford Reserve. And they, they still are on the site of their prohibition era distillery, which is really funny. Because could you imagine just continually can, just getting lucky enough to continually make your liquor during the prohibition while the rest of your competitors were killed by the government? <laughs> right. Well, my great grandfather made root beer in a bathtub in his basement to also hide the <laughs> beer he was making. Hey, in his anything to get us by, right? <laughs> Hey, yeah. I, I would try. I, hear, I don't know if I'd really try good bathtub root beer. root beer. I don't know if I could. You know, Prohibition bathtub root beer was probably 
Yeah, no, no more sanitary than bathtub. <laughs> and uh, we get closer and closer to now. There's a National Bourbon Heritage Month. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> in, in August of now, 2007, the Senate declared that September is recognized as National Bourbon Heritage Month. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> What? I mean, the, 2007. 2007. What year was that that they decided? 2007. Okay. I mean, they've decided that French fries are oh legally called freedom fries in the U.S. Why is this? So oh, okay. Why not? Whatever. So that gets us to today. So does each distillery? No, it's have just a the whole month is bourbon month. month? <laughs> <laughs> oh my huh. God! Why? Fair enough. Well, it, like it, like they said, it was used for medicinal purposes during the uh, prohibition, along with some other things that you know that were slipped through the cracks as they tried to survive, as the government tried to kill them and get you uh, get liquor out of the country, but. Look at the old things like Elijah Craig. You talk about the Williams family, Evan Williams. You talk about Pappy Van Winkle. These old, old, old distilleries that were making bourbon forever ago. And that leads us in to our top bourbon bourbons that we have. I think it's the 10 smoothest, smoothest bourbons you can drink on the market today, Quinn. Yes. Those would be as soon as I apparently closed my link when I was looking for a recipe for the Boulevardier. Um, so the first one on this list for smoothest is actually one I've tried, uh, Angel's Envy Bourbon. It is, from what I remember, it was pretty damn smooth. I don't know if I would consider it the smoothest. But it was pretty. No, good. but is that angels? Anything? Can you can you save the angels' share of a bourbon bottle? Well, I mean, is it why is it named that? Is that just the company? Uh, yeah. So I think it gets that name. Uh, the angels' envy. You could think of that as you know what the angels' cut couldn't take away. They're they're envying that you know this is so good it could have been the angels' cut. That makes sense. I, I'm 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 on long, I'm long lines. I have not tried it. I would love to. It looks it's a pretty bottle. Looks like it'd be good. Uh, the next is one I actually I recognize this bottle. I have seen it everywhere. We had so many of these in our liquor cabinet back when I was working at the restaurant, um, but I actually never knew its name. But it's W. L. Weller, twelve year old. Uh, I have the bottle looks this. familiar, have but you... it also looks like a different kind of liquor. Not that. It kind yeah, the bottle is yeah. almost yeah. looks yeah. kind of like what you that, think it's not, that's not like an old-time bourbon bottle. You know what I mean? I haven't had it, though. The only one right. I, There was only one or two on this list that I've tried, so... Uh, next up, we have Burnheim uh, Original Number Seven. That was seven confusing. Year old. Sorry, <laughs> not Number Seven. That's Jack Daniels. Uh, the Burnheim Original Seven Year Old. 
Uh, this is one that I have. This is a Haven Hill bourbon. Actually, never heard of. Yeah, it is. This is a Haven Hill. Okay. Uh, next up, we have Redemption Weeded Bourbon. So that would be a bourbon that is still 51% at least corn, but uses wheat as the other part of its grain bill. I haven't tried the Redemption Weeded Bourbon. I'm a massive fan of Redemption Rye. So if it's anything like or to the same level of you know, competency in making it, which I assume it has to be to be number four on this list. It's probably pretty good. And, you know, I might keep an eye. Is the rye your favorite rye? Or are you sticking with like a bullet for that? So. No, Redemption's not my favorite rye. But it's up there. I don't know if I could say that bullets my favorite either. Uh, to be honest, I did find a rye that I considered to be my very favorite. It was really cheap. I found it at Total Wine. And for the life of me, <laughs> I don't know what it's called anymore. But what I remember was tasting it. You get right away rye. You swallow the drink. And then you uh... taste black cherry. Like It got to the point where I took a sip and I was like, this is magnificent. I don't believe this is actually what it tastes like. So I went and I found my roommate and I was like, Hey, try a sip of this. He tries it, takes the sip, swallows it. And then immediately I see his eyes light up. I'm like, did it burn? He's like, no, it was really fruity. And I was like, okay. So you Mm. did actually have that strong cherry note. Um, and I will do what I can to try and find this and, uh, listeners stay posted. I will find it and let you know what it's called. I definitely like to try that. I'm not a huge black licorice fan. Did you say black licorice or licorice? Cherry. Black cherry. All right. I said black cherry. I'd be down. I'd be down. Yep. So it had a, it really had a fruity nose. Hmm. It also had a little bit of pepperiness to the nose. I remember. So it kind of smelled like black pepper, but you tasted none, which really made it interesting because my favorite part of like a peppery whiskey is the smell of it, not as much the taste of it and drinking it. Uh, but that brings us to our next one, which is the Maker's Mark 46. I'm a big fan of just straight up Maker's Mark. I, I haven't, but I've seen it. I've, it's been in every restaurant I've worked at pretty much, and uh, it's always like more than a step up in price. You know what I mean? I haven't had it. You said you haven't either. Is it worth it? No, I have. Um, I, it's good. I'd say it's definitely really good. It's smoother for sure. I still, there's a soft, like a soft spot in my heart for makers, Mark, just the original. So, I have I get so much enjoyment out of that that purchasing the 46 which is you know a little bit of a step up price wise not much um that you know I might just stick with the normal makers mark 
because it is so good as it is. Okay. But the okay. 46 is, I'll say, a little bit better, yeah. Uh, next up, we have Basil Hayden's hmm. Artfully Aged. Now, uh, so I'm just going to say one thing. When, when you specifically describe something you're <laughs> making as artfully something, I'm not going to say I lose a little bit of respect for you because I don't lose respect for you, but more I, I get skeptical. I go, all right, are you just trying to convince me that it's artfully aged because you're not going to let it just speak for itself? Uh, it, it's it's a good whiskey. It means a good bourbon. It just, it is. I'm not going to, I think that's what I have, have you tried to be completely honest. Aged? I think it is. Because this, this, okay. this uh, paper wrapping and everything looks exactly like what the bottle downstairs looks like. So it might not be this one. This might be their basic bourbon too, because they have a 10-year bourbon and they also have a rye, but it's not either of those. So I think it okay. says this in this post, but on their website, it just says bourbon. This is not even listed on their website. It basically ends at least. So. Okay. Maybe this is just uh, whoever put together Blair. this list deciding to add a little bit of like, hey, it's artful. Okay. So Basil Hayden's, I take back my, my skepticism. Uh, not that I don't believe that it is artfully made or artfully aged, I guess, but you know, Artfully aged also makes me wonder, are, like, what are they doing that's special with their aging? They uh, are, sacrifice like, a virgin every year in front of the cask. That that's why that's that's. Yeah, so <laughs> we're, we're we're not going to buy that if that's the case. Moving on. <laughs> um, so moving on. Next up, they're really w. on this WL Weller. Weller. This special website's reserve. really really likes this. This is another one that I recognize um, that we kept in stock. And we had them on hand because we went through them quick. I can't say I've had this one. Maybe this is the one that uh, one of my coworkers I mentioned would make oh, the okay. scotch version of a Bloody Mary. And this. Nope, I was going to say, Quinn, you're on the wrong path. Uh, this isn't a scotch. You're on the wrong path. Yup. <laughs> oh, very much so. All right. <laughs> and so next up here at number eight, only three behind. I just feel like it's not just normal maker's mark. So yeah, I feel I feel vindicated in saying that yes, forty six is better, but maker's mark, just as is, is great. And again, this isn't a list of necessarily the best bourbons. This is just someone rating what they consider the smoothest smooth. bourbons. And I definitely say that Maker's Mark is, you know, up there smooth <sighs> bourbons. Uh, the next one here is one that I'm going to adamantly disagree. I'm going to adamantly disagree with being on this list. Oh, I've tried this and I did not enjoy it. Um, Gentleman Jack. It 
So it's another Tennessee style. So maybe it's just that little bit of sour to it that I don't like. But I don't know. I I've tried Gentleman's Jack, and I didn't. Think I've tried it. Was it. Anything it's not really special. Have you? It's tried not. It? Okay, I'm glad I'm not being. It's. I don't know. It's not like it's that much more expensive than a bottle of Jack, right? And you're not. Right. Okay, let me rephrase this. You should not be drinking Jack Daniels straight. Please, God, pick something better. Don't drink Jack Daniels straight. I mean, I do do know a number of people who like it. Jack on the rocks. God. I think. But, you know, we we all got got our poison of choice. One of the Some reviews of on Total Wine says after notes of pesticides, and that's all I want to say here. So, <laughs> yep that that sounds about right. Uh, hashtag Jack Daniels not a sponsor. Eh, you hey, can they're, sponsor they're, if you really yeah, want no. to, but you're not gonna <laughs> want to. Uh, and then next up we have Bullet Bourbon. I have had this one. I agree. I think it. It certainly deserves a spot on this list. It's pretty smooth. Um, it's I can't honestly remember the tasting notes because every, every time I'm trying to recall it, I'm just thinking of the bullet rye. So my notes are going to be all off. I think once. Um, Have you tried bullet bourbon? I think like once I tried it and I was a fan. I, I was probably in a mixed drink. It might have been the rye too because I didn't know that they made a bunch of different kinds of bourbon or bur- a bunch of different kind of like whiskeys. I thought they more, they're really known for their rye, right? Yep. Bullet rye is. Yeah. So I'm not on rise. I hear people talk about is it's bullet rye or redemption rye are generally the two that. Yeah. I so I'm not, talk I don't and think I've, about. Tried it. I might have. I don't know. It's been a long time if I have. Okay. And then I just want to give an honorable mention to one that I think should have made this list. Do you say fighting uh, cock? At very least, God. come in number nine <laughs> instead of gentlemen. Oh, that's right. Will it's no, reserve? Uh, Will it's reserve? Uh, it, it, it. So we've discussed this in the previous episode. I'm a sucker for a pretty bottle. That's generally not a selling point to me. I tend to avoid things in pretty bottles. Uh, but I like looking at them. But I, I was given a bottle of this for my birthday uh, a couple of years ago. And it was pretty great. Um, it was real damn good. Oh. Super smooth. Not very smoky at all. Um just a great, great bourbon. If you this, have an opportunity to try Willets, this I bottle is it. gorgeous. Uh, I don't know if have you ever tried it, no. Andrew? Yeah, I haven't. This is, looks like the, a the fat bottom, tall stem. Uh, damn you! Yeah. I want to go buy this now just to put this on my shelf. That's so pretty. Yup, right. That's the <laughs> and I know, like. Oh, like it's gorgeous! It's bottle. straight up. Go look at it right Andrew. now. Pause. Go to go to go to Google. Search it, 
and uh, you'll see what we're talking about. No, it's E T T. Will it? T S. Yeah. And the one we're talking about is a pot still reserve bourbon. Yeah, I do. So it it's balanced flavors of creaminess, spiciness, and floral. And the finish is mint, spice, and an earthy wood character. Yeah, I mean, that honestly describing <laughs> it brings back a little bit of memory of that taste. Uh, there's a couple of notes in there. I didn't. Mint would be interesting. Get. Yeah, that's what I was um, thinking. The mint certainly wasn't. Yeah, it, I didn't get the mint. I guess, you know, it did have, you know, doing a little bit of mental gymnastics to kind of think about, yeah. you know, because tasting notes are so subjective. Um, I know that's one of the first things they teach sommeliers is you're not trying to say exactly what it tastes like. You're trying to paint a picture and bring people kind of to what it kind of tastes like. Describe it with things they're familiar with, even though it might be something that only has an aspect of. So it might not have the mintiness of mint, but it might have some of those sensations in the mouth or um, some like mild characteristic flavors of mint without the whole flavor. Uh, do you have any bourbons you think deserve a spot on this list over Gentleman Jack? We're just going to be shitting on Gentleman Jack here for a minute. I'm sorry, Gentleman Jack. Um, bourbons specifically, I don't think so i'm trying to remember specific bourbons uh i my mind just keeps drawing to whiskeys instead of like specific bourbons one thing that's um damn that's expensive one thing that i think of when i think of sorry i'm on total wine right now googling yeah trying to find shit um ah it's a scotch yeah no 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 bourbons no bourbons that uh so uh, Chivas Regal Scots, is my though, grandpa's choice drink when he was younger, and he doesn't drink he doesn't drink uh, liquor anymore. But he he's got like okay. three bottles in the cupboard of Chivas Twelve Year, and um, they've been in there since I was like two. And um, every time I go like to his house out to the cabin, I open up the cupboard and I stare at it, and I'm like, I should make myself a drink, and I never do. So that those bottles, all three of them, are sealed, unopened. So I, 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 God, have you had Chivas before? You haven't. Well, we should have it together then. I can't say because I he swears by it. And when I say swear, I mean he swears by this this scotch. He loves it. But going back to to bourbons, um, okay, I just. It's, One last one I want to throw out there uh, that I think deserves a spot on this list is Jack's Choice. Jack's Choice? Um, let me look it up just real quick. Okay. Uh, Jack's Choice. So my sister got me a bottle of this from a okay. small bottling company in Kansas City, Missouri. Because uh, we have some family down there and uh, 
she was down there for a wedding and my whole family enjoyed it. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it because uh, at that time I was living the restaurant industry life, which uh, as a chef means you're, you're never going to be there for those moments with family, which is part of why I left. But so she brought me back some uh, because they tried it and they all loved it. And it is so smooth. But beyond that, just flavor. Um, and actually, so I misspoke. Apparently, from what I'm finding, Jack's Choice is actually an Irish. No person. wonder you liked it so Not much. <laughs> I've been lied to. Hmm. Well, damn. Uh, remove that from this list, <laughs> gentlemen. Jack, you can. Stay yeah, there's not a ton of. Um, there's not a ton that I've tried. Paddleford, Bluff Springs, Lone Hand. I haven't tried any of these. Yeah, I'm not. I've. I just not. You don't. High West is a brand that I really like. Um, and my family is also a big fan of high West Buffalo trace. Buffalo trace is one that I think, you know, deserves a spot. If we're talking about, you know, something along the lines of, you know, the classic makers mark and Buffalo trace, Buffalo traces, it's got a beautiful flavor. It's complex. It's fairly smooth. You and you could use Buffalo, Buffalo Trace to make any of these cocktails we're jumping into as our last segment of the show here. A bourbon cocktail sounds kind of interesting because you can pick a strong bourbon. You can pick a, a smooth bourbon like we've been talking about. Um, Quinn, when you think about a bourbon, do you? I, I, my mind tends to go straight to a like a burning whiskey. A lot of uh, bite, like to one it. that has just a, a lot, lot of heat, bite like to it. Yeah, you, a strong chest burn to it. I guess. Yeah, you're not wrong. I, a lot of bourbons do have that strong, like hot belliness to them. Um, I guess they aren't super. That's not a characteristic I put in the forefront for them, just because I like scotches, and that's also a characteristic of a lot of scotches, is that it has that body warming effect. But what I think of when I think of a bourbon are a couple of specific cocktails, the mint julep. Uh, and this is made with bourbon, sugar, mint leaves. So you, you can't really go wrong with that. You muddle up the mint with the sugar. Uh, so a perk of using granulated sugar to muddle is it'll actually start grinding apart whatever you're trying to muddle a little bit faster. And since the sugar will absorb moisture, it'll start sucking out the oils and those flavors from whatever you're muddling. And then as soon as that dissolves, it's going to dissolve into that drink. So it's a excellent delivery system for just enhancing that level of flavor that you're extracting through the muddling process. Great choice. Uh, another one, the whiskey sour. 
Now this is two ounces of bourbon, a three quarter ounce lemon juice, three quarter ounce simple syrup, and then garnish with a lemon wedge or a cherry or both. I'm a big fan of a whiskey sour. I think we've covered this in a previous episode, but the origin of Mountain Dew was actually as a over-the-counter or buy-in-a-store pre-made sour mix that was later caffeinated and uh, used as a pop or a soda or I, I won't say it. I won't call it a Pepsi or a Coke because half the time you're wrong. God damn it. If, if I go into a restaurant and I ask what kind of Pepsi mm-hmm. you have and you respond, Quinn, that's Coke, too long. We're trying to Pepsi, servers. We're, we're just trying to get you in and out, you know, keep you rolling. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Actually, not have you ever heard of this one? So this is a That's whiskey it. sour with a teaspoon of grenadine. Sounds good. So it would be a pomegranate whiskey sour. Uh, this is something I've made before. Had no idea it was this specific cocktail. I've just had uh, sour or had the sour mix and decided, you know what? Let's put a little bit of grenadine in here. And it's pretty good. Um, now, it's a little probably sweet, I think. I I go a little bit less on the grenadine than probably a teaspoon, probably a half teaspoon. But I like things a little bit more on the dry side. Yeah, we know. Which we've, we've talked about a couple of times at this point. Uh, next up, we have a bourbon smash, which is two ounces of bourbon, one half lemon, and a three-quarter ounce simple syrup served with mint leaves. Uh, so kind of think of this as a whiskey sour with mint. And again, something I really enjoy. Have you ever tried a not with mint? A no, with mint uh, my whiskey sours are usually just bourbon smash, cheap whiskey, and squirt. <laughs> respect, squirt. Once you said squirt, respect. It is a great pop to use as a sour mix because that great it's so easy to make a drink hard. like that. It's like why. I would buy sour mix. I did last time buy sour mix, but why would you buy sour mix when you could just use squirt? <laughs> uh, here's one for you. The Kentucky Buck. Two ounces of bourbon, three quarter ounces lemon juice, three quarter ounces of simple syrup, yep. Angostola bitters, and sliced strawberry. Yep. And then top yeah, it off I would with really like beer. that. That sounds Damn. amazing to me. Uh, this sounds so good. I'm actually going to be posting good. this in our recipe section uh, for our podcast because I good choice. I agree. I'm a big fan of that. Some point here. Uh, next up, I have one. That I, I haven't, but I'm on the website I'm on looking for these. Derby? I had that as well. <laughs> So 
I've heard of the Brown Derby. I think you would like this. It does not sound like something up my alley as much. Uh, it's two ounces of bourbon, one ounce of grapefruit juice, and half an ounce of a honey simple syrup, which I will admit, props for them using a honey simple syrup. I think it's the best kind of simple syrup. But I, it kind of loses me at the grapefruit <laughs> juice. Now, I did just say I love squirt because that grapefruit as a pop gives it a little bit more tart. But that grapefruit <laughs> as a pop also has how much fucking corn syrup in it that hides the flavor of grapefruit, mm. which I'm just. It not looks good. I'm, I'm not a. Of. I don't know if I'm a huge grapefruit fan, you? like in general. Um, I don't know if that I've had it like as a as a leading flavor that much, but it sounds decent. Ah, uh, see, growing up, grapefruit was Weird. my sister and my dad loved eating grapefruit for breakfast, and I thought is your, it was is your sister the older than you? I forgot breakfast ever. Okay, this makes more sense though. Yes. Um, but this is one that you know I'll give it a shot. I need to give grapefruit a a better chance in the mixed drink world. I honestly, I haven't given it a fair shot just because I've had that uh, kind of long-lasting dislike of it since I was a kid. Uh, so maybe <laughs> it's time for me to, uh, to take my medicine. Oh my god! Of a brown derby. Uh, we have the Boulevard DA, which, as we covered, is one and a half ounces of bourbon, ounce of Campari, and an ounce of sweet vermouth. Um, or it can also be made in the same equal part ratio as a Negroni. What was that one? Be one to one to one. Boulevardier. Yep, yep, yep. I've had a Boulevardier. The Boulevardier. Um, and they are delicious. They're super booze forward. You know you're drinking a strong drink when you drink one, because again, the three ingredients are all alcoholic. And yes, two of them are not insanely alcoholic, but you're not really cutting it with anything. And then serve with orange, uh, an orange twist or an orange slice. I like to order mine with two pieces of orange, one in it and then one to garnish. Uh, because at the, the best thing in my opinion, when you're finishing this drink, is if you have a uncrushed orange at the bottom of your glass, getting to eat that orange, which has now just Do you, infused itself with the flavor of your Boulevardier. You would almost call this a small batch whop. So good. <laughs> I mean, as much as you, would you call to, any drink you, you garnish with fruit. For you whop, to I enjoy guess, this fruit as as you would call because it has soaked up all whop. of this liquor. That sounds like something I've heard directly in college from a person that is not you. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Quinn! I have one to add. Have you? Do you have? Do you have the beggar's banquet on your list? What and I think be? this is going to hurt you. That's why I wanted to wanted to mention it. I do not. Um, what is that? It is. It is two ounces of bourbon. All right, I have my three, glass four ounces of maple syrup. Hand. 
half ounce of fresh lemon juice, five ounces of lager chilled garnished with an orange wheel. You know, so I was confused when you said that much maple syrup to start off with. Would you? But no, I I buy that. Drink. It. It's, it's already in Lawrence. That's yeah. I want you to post that in our recipe list. Beggar's our, Banquet. Our the maple syrup is the most interesting part of this drink, point. but the beer um, is what hurts me. <laughs> and the the bourbon and beer just do not sound like they would work together. The, the mixing of beer. Really? I'll see a, a bourbon and a lager to me sound like they would be just fine together. Lagers are a cold brewed, not cold brewed, but um, cold fermented or chilled fermented. So it's done a little bit under room temperature, which makes them really crisp. But I think often you'll find that lagers are a little bit lighter in the flavor department. Not to say that they're flavorless, but they're a little bit lighter which means that that bourbon is going to be able to step forward and actually kind of deliver its flavor notes along with everything else in there. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of the maple syrup and lemon juice mixed together in there. Not that I think it would taste bad. I just, there might be a lot of competing flavors, especially garnishing with an orange wheel. Why you don't, Garnish with a lemon wheel. I don't know. I guess I'll find out when I try this. But no, I, I'd say it's something that sounds. I good. think that the beer flavor would take bad? over. That light beer flavor is not something that I enjoy at all. So I think that that would take over the drink more than I'd like it to, and it would ruin it for me. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. I completely understand that. Yeah, you definitely get a lot of that lager taste, and it would yeah, I'd rather taste the bourbon a than the... for the bourbon flavor. So, like the the uh, to use a hostess reference here, which for some reason is the best one I have, <laughs> is the the beer is the breading of the Twinkie, the sponge cake. <laughs> And in this drink, yes. is the good stuff. I hate Twinkies. God, I hate that being Twinkies. Said, I'm not a fan. They're of so bad. So I don't know why. I, I just want to, Quinn, I want to point out this fact for all of our listeners that any person who yeah. grew up fat hates Twinkies and all my damn skinny friends love Twinkies. And I want that. And I want that to be on paper because Twinkies are I branded to you. fat people yep. all the time and we hate them. <laughs> I do not understand. <laughs> I, this may also explain why I have a slight hatred of Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, one of my middle names is Duncan, and as a fat kid, you know, no. Dunkin' Donuts. It's not a hard insult to come up oh, with. Oh, that's no. And it's not an oh, easy one for them to forget. That's awful. I'm not bitter. I don't, I don't, I don't hold these memories. I don't, I don't. Me <laughs> oh no. Oh God. Uh, Quinn, do you have any more drinks? Jesus. God damn it. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> or do we just want to end on that low note? 
I have no, a couple. No, we're not going to leave our listeners God just wallowing in depression over us growing up as fat kids. All right, I got one for you. Just because I like the name, the Scofflaw. This is two ounces of bourbon, one ounce dry vermouth, five ounces grenadine, a quarter ounce of lemon juice. <laughs> By five ounces of five grenadine, ounces. I meant half an ounce of grenadine. Don't use five ounces of grenadine. Gross. Oh, this will be a scoff mistake. So it's two ounces bourbon, one ounce dry vermouth, half an ounce grenadine, quarter ounce lemon juice, and then orange bitters. Uh, or you can substitute an Angostola bitter. Of course. Uh, this is described as the cat's pajamas. Uh, it's a Prohibition era cocktail and describes a person who lawlessly drinks during Prohibition to make the scoff tail. He'll add all the ingredients into a cocktail shaker, shake well with ice, and then strain into a glass garnished okay. with a That sounds twist. like it'd be okay. I have a couple to throw at you here. I'm going to start with the one that you would like the best. Did you see the Rancor's toothpick in your list? Star Wars. Yes. Wait, or like yes. Rancor from, I was from like, Star Wars <laughs> Rancor. I wish okay, your roommate was on the show. Lay it on me. I'm ready right now over this. So it is one and a half ounces of 100 proof bourbon. It has a specific kind, but 100 proof bourbon. Like <laughs> one ounce so of fighting cock. Sweet vermouth. One ounce of, I'm going to say this wrong, but it, Sinar? Sinar? Chinar. Okay, so one ounce Chinar. of uh, Chinar. It's an artichoke liqueur. Two dashes of mole bitters garnished with an orange peel. Flavor. 100% right yeah, up your I alley. What, why do you know what Chinar that drink is? Why do you know what Chinar is? So Chinar is one of two ingredients for my favorite drop shot. It's called a bartender's you, breakfast. I believe uh, so. This is a drink. I think I've mentioned it on a previous episode, uh, but a couple of people in my kitchen, when we'd close um, for a while, we religiously had one of these just to celebrate making it through the night. And then we kind of tapered off just because, you know, <laughs> a drop shot every night we finish closing the kitchen isn't good. And we're all like, yeah, we've probably done this enough. Um, but so it's a half a glass of Bell's two hearted and a shot of Chinar drop that into the glass. I recommend have the beer at room temperature because what you're going to get from it, then it essentially turns this light beer or lighting color beer, not actually a light beer, but into hmm. essentially a Porter and it is delicious, and unlike most drop shots, it will never curdle. So if you don't want to just chug down the drink, you can <laughs> sip it. It's not as good sipped, I'll be honest. It is one that is a little bit better consumed quickly. But no, there, there is a special place in my heart for this, and I've actually been thinking of buying a bottle of Chinar 
but had no idea what I well, was now you do. with other than a bartender's <laughs> breakfast. So now that I know this week, and we'll lead I that right into another bottle, drink you know. that I'm pretty sure that you would love. It is called the billionaire cocktail. Have you tried this before? Have you heard of this before? So it's two ounces of bourbon, an ounce of lemon juice, I have uh, five ounces of grenadine. Oh, wait, sorry. Again, a half ounce of grenadine, half ounce of simple syrup, and one-fourth ounce of absinthe bitters. Okay. I can't say I've ever heard of absinthe bitters. I'm assuming it's just a more anise-forward bitter. Interesting probably made from absinthe of course that that sounds pretty good i might make that instead use angostola bitters and just wash the glass with absinthe uh, so you basically you take just a quarter ounce put it in your glass spin the glass around and then pour it interesting out. and so i've heard of that before as well And, you know, that might be an even better billionaire <laughs> version because you're throwing away some alcohol. And uh, we'll move on to my next drink when I have two more, I think. And then we'll wrap this up as we've made this show very long and longer than we planned to, I assume. As is tradition. We're going to look as here at tradition. Um, Old Forester Signature Bourbon. It says again, but again, this would just be a bourbon. Uh, one ounce. One ounce of Anejo rum. It says Bruegel, but you can use every one. Um, one Anejo rum. Would that just be an aged rum? Añejo. Heard. A half ounce. Yeah. So Añejo would be old rum. A half ounce of so a, the, the Recus Ron Meal Guanche rum. So a half ounce of regular rum this time. A tablespoon of honey. A tablespoon of Demerara sugar. A dash of Pechad's bitters and a dash of Angostura bitters. Garnished with an orange twish, twist. This is called the expensive honesty and the got to be the weirdest drink I've seen in a long time. <laughs> I think I know how it got its name. Those are not cheap ingredients. And I'm going to guess after the person finishes that drink... <laughs> Ask them any question, they're telling you they're honest. Wow, this is oh, I just don't understand. That's such an odd drink. Rum and bourbon mixed together seems such a such a very peculiar choice to make a drink. I could see those two going together just fine. I mean, rum, you know, I think honestly can mix. Really We're gonna have our newest drinkers. Liquors on our list. I haven't seen a lot of drinks that were released only in 2007, but this one is going to be equal parts bourbon, Aperol, Amaro. Is I'm saying that? A-M-A-R-O? Amaro Nanino Quintessentia is the full Amaro, name. Amaro, I think. And uh, equal parts fresh lemon juice. Okay. And I just heard at work today the name Amaro, and I, I'm saying that wrong again, but um, I'm not sure how this drink would taste, but it's brand new. Like it was invented in 2007 in New York City. Well, I think we should should do an episode on this one, or at least 
both try it, you know. And it's called the paper plane. See what it we comes think garnished of with a paper plane. Modern era cocktail. I shit you not. The picture there's a gar it's a it's a toothpick with a paper plane on it in the drink. <laughs> So I I I want to think about how they named this. Did they come up with a <laughs> taste of what? That's really good. What the fuck do we call it? And they're like, I I don't I have no idea. Uh let's look around. What can we garnish it with? I got some receipt paper. One of our servers for their cut work folded a paper airplane. <laughs> hey, it looks kind of cool on there. We'll call it fuck it, call it the paper airplane. I that is honestly how I think it got its name or something <laughs> like that. But I am probably wrong, but that is what I, I believe is probably what happened just because I, I know a decent number of bartenders and been in the restaurant this, industry you're, for a while. You're very on. We'll and my last drink I want to throw out here to add to our list on our um, half an hour show. That's now like an hour and 10 minutes is the Amaretto Sour. And Quinn, I know what you're thinking right now. An Amaretto Sour doesn't have gin. Andrew, you're an idiot. Or it doesn't have uh, a bourbon. You're an idiot. But listen to this. This is the recipe it has. It's an ounce and a half of Amaretto. Three-fourths of an ounce specifically says cask-proof bourbon. So what that tells me is it's got to be like 60%, 50%. That kind of the range you're thinking of, too. So we're looking at a stronger strength yeah, bourbon that's three-fourths ounce, one ounce of lemon bourbon. juice, specifically freshly squeezed, one teaspoon of rich simple syrup, uh, and it has a recipe here as well I can get to, one half ounce of egg white beaten, and it's garnished with lemon twist and two brandied cherries. And this sounds amazing. I will post this. Okay, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> Put put a paper. I want to specifically talk about rich, simple that. syrup. It's <laughs> it's two cups of sugar to one cup of water. Is that the normal? Okay, so this is a stronger simple syrup, more sugar, sweeter, uh, and it says one. use demerara demerara so demerara sugar for extra riches. Demerara sugar. Ah, okay. It, it I assume is it's like the sugar of choice for high end bars. Um, I okay. haven't really used it much, if at all. Um, but I've heard that it it dissolves a bit better. It has a. It's harder for it to get a cloyingly sweet, but more like honey has a complex sweetness to it, kind of like a raw sugar. Uh, but and sugar, with that, we've hit on all our well. drinks. We hit a bunch of them this time with bourbon, which I really enjoyed. But that'll be it for this week. Quinn, do you have any parting takes on bourbon? You know, I might not be the biggest bourbon drinker out there, but damn. And as we're trying to end recipe. every show with now... If you have any loved ones suffering with an alcohol addiction or any addiction, you can seek help. Just Google different ways, different numbers you can call, but specifically we're talking about an alcoholism. You can call 866-842-8161 for, to get help. They are a treatment center. 
It's from the American Addiction Center on alcohol.org is where we got our number from. Again, if you have a loved one or you yourself need to find help for alcoholism, call 866-842-8161. The strongest people reach out for help. And it is definitely not a bad thing to know when you need to go get help, especially when it comes to alcoholism for you or a loved one. And with that, we will wrap up the show today. My co-host Quinn and I love bringing this to you. We're 12 episodes in and we're going to keep doing this for the long run.